rules of theology, ritual, and organizational structure, the religions are distinct. Differences in culture, history, geography, and collective temperament all make for diverse starting points. But beyond these differences, the same goal beckons. Now this is, um, it's very popular to have this view of all the religions. You know what? At the end of the day, they all, they all get you in, you know, get you to God. And one of the reasons this is so popular is because people think, listen, if, if we would just acknowledge the validity of all religions, there wouldn't be so much fighting in the world. If, these, uh, if religious people would stop making the claim to exclusive truth and stop claiming to be the way to God and to a full relationship with God and would acknowledge that other religions are also legitimate paths to a full relationship with God, there wouldn't be you know, the religious conflicts out there, which are, frankly, tragic. And, and the goal is, you know, that's a noble goal to have peace in our, in our world. But two things. Uh, first off, I, although it is true that Christians have participated in uh, religious violence, some, uh, that is not the way of Christ. The Bible says that we, we make an appeal to the consciences of humans. As ambassadors of Christ, we appeal on, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. But Christians are limited by, in, through an appeal to conscience and not to violence. But secondly, and most in, importantly, this, uh, this idea that all religions are ultimately the same is just a fantasy. Stephen Prothero, he teaches religion at Boston University. He wrote a, uh, I found it a very interesting book called God is Not One, a New York Times uh, bestseller. Here's what he writes. It's comforting to pretend that the great religions make up one big happy family. But this sentiment, however well-intentioned, is neither accurate nor ethically responsible. God is not one. Faith in the unity of religions is just that faith. Perhaps even a kind of fundamentalism. And the leap that gets us there is an act of the hyperactive imagination. <laughs> the hyperactive imagination. And so he says, listen, when you actually look at the teachings of the great world religions, they are mutually exclusive. They are contradictory. They, they can't. They are uh, absolutely different. And we just, you know, we just paint this dreamy, uh, whitewashed picture of the world religions when we claim that, hey, at the end of the day, they're all the same. No, they're not. He makes a strong case. One of the things he points out is he says, listen, every world religion is trying to solve a different problem. And because it's trying to solve a different plot problem, it proposes a different solution. All of the world religions start with um, an understanding that there is something wrong with the world. They look at our, at our existence and they say, it's broken. There's something wrong here. 
But what they diagnose to be the problem is very different. So, for example, uh, Christians, you know, we, we diagnose the problem to be sin. Buddhists say the problem is suffering. Hindus, they say that the problem is this cycle of life, death, and rebirth, what they call samasara. And that, that's the problem, is that we get caught in this cycle of life, death, and rebirth. For uh, Muslims, the problem is pride. And so, because there are different diagnoses of the problem, then there are different solutions offered. In fact, let me tell you, here's how we're going, we're we're going to pose four questions to each religion. Because these four questions, I think, kind of get us at the heart of what the religion believes, teaches, practices. Number one, first question, is what's the problem? So for each religion, we're going to ask, what is the problem, the human condition or human problem that, that is seen? Number two, what is the solution, which also functions as the religious goal? Number three, what technique or techniques are suggested uh, in order to achieve that goal or that solution? And then finally, who are the exemplars? Uh, Who are the people who have gone before us that we are supposed to follow their example? Um, We're not going to give... We're not going to give Christianity its own week because we're most familiar with that, although today I'm going to kind of summarize uh, Christianity's answer to those four questions. And then each week we'll go into one of the world religions and how they answer those four questions and then contrast it with the teachings of Christianity. But just to show uh, how um, Christianity answers these four questions, number one, the problem. What is the problem? So, Christianity says the problem is sin. Sin is defined as um, rebellion against God. It's the opposite of uh, God's way. It's not righteousness. It's not holiness. It's wickedness. It's rebellion. And it, sin is what separates us from God. And the consequences of sin, the Bible says, are death. There's a spiritual death and a physical death. And so uh, sin is the problem, and it breaks. Sin is what uh, breaks everything down. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's a good verse to write down. It talks about where sin came from. You know, Adam and Eve's initial sin, eating a a forbidden fruit. And death came through sin, spiritual and physical death. And death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so um, the Bible tells us that there is no one who is without sin. Uh, All of us experience the brokenness of sin. So that's the problem. And so what's the solution? The solution is what the Bible calls salvation. Salvation is being freed from the power and presence of sin. 
And so we need to be uh, forgiven. We need our sins to be forgiven. And we need the curse of death, the penalty to be removed from us. And we need the, the presence of sin, the grip it has on our lives, to kind of get out of us. And salvation starts here in this life, but then it is finished. It's not finished until uh, the life to come, what is called eternal life. And in eternal life, there is no more uh, power. Sin has no power in our life, no consequence in our life. It's gone. It's out of our uh, system in, in all, all aspects. It's out of our system. The solution, or, or I'm sorry, the technique. What's the technique? How do we uh, arrive at salvation? How is that um, procured? Through faith in God's Son, Jesus. Actually, first let me read the, uh, in, the passage on salvation. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Talking about Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the goal is the salvation of your soul. And finally, the technique. What is the technique? The technique is uh, faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. That is what saves us. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. As our memory verse says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Christianity says, you know, God has sent a Savior, his own Son, Jesus Christ, and that though when we put our faith in him, we are saved. And then finally, uh, who are the exemplars? Who do we follow? Well, it's the apostles, and then any other Christian who is following Jesus. Think of uh, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So anyone who is... Uh, put his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ and is following because uh, Jesus becomes an example to us. So that is uh, kind of Christianity in a nutshell. And then each week we're going to look at a different religion, unpack its answer to those four questions, and uh, contrast it with uh, the teachings of, of the Bible, teachings of our faith. So let me go to the final... Um, the final and most important reason why, why we study world religions. And it's this. Study of the world religions can make Christ shine brighter in our hearts and our minds. One good thing about the world religions is that, that they reveal the deepest longings of the human heart. Because they all acknowledge we live in a broken world. And, and at their core, they're acknowledging a longing humans have, uh, whether it's uh, harmony in relationships or uh, the absence of suffering 
or confidence about the future or, or relationship with God. Uh, these are deep, these are the deepest longings of the human heart and, the, and they represent the best thinking of humanity throughout the ages. And when we look at the deep longings of the human heart, it allows us to see with fresh eyes that Jesus Christ is the solution. He is the answer. He is God's answer to all of our longings. And it can help ground us in our, in, in our own confidence in what we have in Jesus Christ and cause us to praise him more. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Jesus is not, it's not yes and no. Jesus is not the answer to some of our problems, but not others. Jesus is yes. Jesus is the answer to all of our problems. All the promises of God find their yes in him. Everything that God has for us, desires for us, is found in his son, Jesus Christ. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, our goal through this series is not to bash other religions. Because uh, they, they have deep longings in their hearts from the fact that we live in a broken world. And they're, they're looking to get those longings filled. Rather, we proclaim the good news that those longings can be fulfilled in a relationship with Jesus, that God has sent a Savior. God does care about the longings of the human heart. And he, is, he has sent a yes in Jesus. And so, for those of you who are Christians... I am hoping that uh, the result of this will be increased confidence in, in Jesus, greater praise for, for who he is and your relationship with him. And if you're not a Christian, um, I'm really hoping you will come uh, week by week and hear how Jesus does, uh, does meet the deep desires of your heart. And I'm hoping that uh, as a result of this series, we will all be more uh, informed and more confident in order to have conversations with our neighbors, appointing them to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we're the ones that broke the world. It is our sin. Our sinful choices broke the world. We're so thankful that you did not leave us there. But out of your love for us, you came and fixed it. And you fixed the brokenness. It cost you. It cost you the life of your uh, only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we praise you that although that you had no sin, you went and hung upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. The love of, your love for us displayed on the cross is overwhelming. 
God, I am so thankful that uh, there is a yes available to all people. And Lord, I pray that during this series, um, you would help us see Christ in a fresh way. uh, That you would shine brighter in our minds and our hearts, Lord. And God, I pray that you would use this uh, series to um, just ground us more completely in uh, in our confidence in what we have in Jesus. Uh, that through what we learn, we would be we would use it to engage uh, our neighbors in conversations. That we wouldn't be afraid, Lord. That we'd be able to share with them the reason for the hope that is within us, and we do it with gentleness, kindness. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I certainly don't want to miss this opportunity on Christ's behalf to appeal to you. Be reconciled to God. God has sent his son Jesus into the world. And that he promises if you will repent of your sins and place your faith in his son Jesus. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be reconciled to God. The spirit of the living God will come and dwell within you. And when you die, he will take you to be with him in heaven. It's an incredible gift. Sometimes it's, it's so incredible, sometimes it's hard for us to receive because it seems uh, we are aware that we don't deserve it. But God's love makes it possible. Please, I encourage you to receive God's gift of love in his, in his son, Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.